1: Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Joined now by United States Senator Ted Cruz. Good morning, Senator. How are you? Hugh, good morning. Always great to be with you. Uh, Senator, I want to talk about your Reclaim Act, but before I do that, I need your help. I'm going to talk later today with uh, New Yorker, writer, Nicholas Lehman, and and Nick and I get along fine. He did a fine profile of me for The New Yorker 15 years ago. And and I mean, he's a member of the Blue Bubble uh, media, but he's a very smart member of the Blue Bubble media. He wants to talk to me about what has President Trump achieved and how has he changed the Republican Party? Let me put that question to Ted Cruz, Supreme Court litigator extraordinaire. How do you answer what has President Trump achieved and how has he changed the Republican Party?
2: Well, on the economy, we had an historic tax cut. We've repealed job-killing regulations. And at the start of this year, before a global pandemic that came from China, we had some of the most extraordinary economic results we have seen in generations. We had the lowest unemployment in 50 years. We had the lowest African-American unemployment ever recorded. We had the lowest Hispanic unemployment ever recorded. We had poverty going down. We had we had Uh, We had food stamps. Seven million people had come off of food stamps, had gotten jobs, and were working. Those are lives transforming. Not only that, in terms of national security, we're in the midst of the biggest military rebuild since Ronald Reagan. We're once again standing with our friends and standing up to our enemies. We defeated ISIS. They lost every square inch of their territory. We're no longer sending $100 billion to the Ayatollah Khomeini who wants to murder us. And on top of that, on judges, we've confirmed over 200 judges that are protecting the Constitution and Bill of Rights, free speech, religious liberty, the Second Amendment. That's, that's a handful from the top of a head.
1: Yeah, and I I asked my callers. They mentioned withdrawing from the Paris Accords. Of course, yeah. you mentioned killing the Iran deal, moving the embassy in, in yeah. Israel, and uh, agreeing the annexation of the Golan Heights. But I think his primary achievement, Senator, I want to get your... Your assessment of this is reframing our relationship with China so that people understand it's an existential threat, not a trade opportunity.
2: Fundamentally important. And, you know, there's some irony now that some of the media and some Democrats are now have taken to criticizing President Trump for not being tough enough on China, uh, which 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 is more than a little uh, ridiculous given that, by any measure, he has been the toughest president of, on China of any in our lifetime. And as you put it, it has reframed the debate. Now, I actually think there's a fair point on the merit that he should be even tougher. And I think that's a reasonable policy discussion to have. But it's not a reasonable policy discussion to be led by Democrats or, frankly, a lot of Republicans who have been China apologists for the last 20 years, who suddenly discovered that the communist dictators there are not looking out for our best interests.
1: Now, Senator Cruz, second part of the question is how did he change the Republican Party? Now, uh, this does not apply to you because you have always been combative in a good way. I believe Donald Trump has modeled how to be combative, especially with the media that is, in fact, a fifth column for the Democratic Party and is not a fair broker of ideas and opinion He's taught us. You've always done that, too. But how do you think he's changed the Republican Party?
2: I'd say probably four ways. Number one, the most fundamental realignment politically in the United States the last 10 years uh, has been that Republicans have become the party of working men and women. We're seeing blue-collar workers. We're seeing union workers shifting in large, large numbers. Turning Republicans. That's why Trump was a, uh, was able to win states like Ohio, like Michigan, like Pennsylvania, like Wisconsin. That's why he came within a point of winning Minnesota because working class voters who had been been for multiple generations Democrats, going back to FDR Democrats, uh, had become Republican, and and that the combination of Republicans actually fighting for jobs. And Democrats abandoning their jobs and deciding Democrats made the decision they are the party of coastal environmental billionaires rather than working men and women. And Trump played a key part in, in our party becoming a party of working men and women. That's number one. Number two, what you put your finger on is hugely important. He fights. And, and so many of us are so sick and tired of Republicans that roll over and whimper when encountering the slightest resistance. And, and I think probably the best characteristic about the president is he's got a backbone and, and, and he will fight. Now I would say third, I wish his tone and some of the things he said were different. I, I Many of the tweets I'm not a fan of, and I do think it is coarse in discussion. So that is, that is a less than positive development, but number four, because of in significant part one, two and three, He has driven the Democratic Party insane. They have lost their minds. They are galloping to the left. They are openly socialist. They are advocating abolishing the police. He's also driven the media insane. They are equally partisan. And in terms of how that impacts the Republican Party, that actually has some of us defending things like free enterprise, defending things like the founding principles. It, It is pushing Republicans, and I hope we go much faster towards this, Actually, defending the fundamental ideals upon which our nation was founded.
1: Okay, last question in this regard, Senator Cruz. And I want to talk about Reclaim Act. If Joe Biden wins, how significantly changed will America be than if Donald Trump is reelected?
2: Massively and terrifyingly, uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, if Joe Biden wins, uh, the odds are pretty high that there's also a Democratic Senate. There's a narrow window where where Biden wins and Republicans keep the Senate, but in all likelihood, the two are, are going to be closely tied together. If that happens, that will give the Democrats control over the levers of government. And What we've seen is the Democratic Party has been radicalized, that the voices that are on the rise in their party, the voices that are driving and dominating their party are the extreme left, are the socialists. So Joe Biden being elected president means if she's not vice president, Elizabeth Warren is Treasury Secretary. It means an EPA secretary like AOC, who, if you want to think about what a true Unrestrained zealot would do to decree the Green New, Green New Deal and destroy tens of millions of jobs. Look no further than AOC with the with the vast power of the federal government behind her. It. it means in the Senate, in the Senate, the Senate will will end the filibuster if the Democrats take the majority, which means they will be able to pass anything they want with just 50 votes. We'll see massive tax increases, not just the taxes uh, tax cuts tax repealed. But a massive increase in taxes, a gallop towards socialized medicine, a gallop towards socialism generally. They'll also do something structurally. If Democrats win in November, within the first six months of next year, we'll see two new states in the union. They will try to admit both the District of Columbia and Puerto Rico, and their reason is simple and crass. It's power. That would produce in all likelihood four new Democratic senators. So if the Democrats Start in January with 51 senators. They could very well end the summer with 55. That is a dangerous agenda, and they, and they will also try to pack the courts. Depending on if they have the the votes, what does that mean? That means something like increasing the Supreme Court from nine votes to 15 votes, which would be putting six radical leftists on the courts immediately. You, as you know, I've got a book coming out in, in October called One Vote Away How One Seat Can Change History. And virtually every one of our constitutional liberties that we value uh, and cherish are, are hanging by a single vote. If they pack the court, those votes will be lost for a generation.
1: I think you have completely and honestly expressed my fear that the filibuster will be repealed and that they will expand the Supreme Court. I believe that will happen, Senator Cruz.
2: Sadly, I do, too. That, that, uh, and, and look, every election cycle, people say
1: this is the most important
2: election of our lifetimes. And, and, and often they believe it when they're saying it. Um,
1: this is a
2: radicalized moment. And in radicalized moments, there is danger. I believe if, if Democrats win in November, in just two years, they will do more damage to this country than was done during the entire eight years of Barack Obama. Because there are no moderates left. There are no moderating statesmen. There are no elder statesmen. It is the angry mob. Look, Bill de Blasio is moving forward efforts to cut the NYPD by a billion dollars. Even a month ago, Hugh, if I had come on your show and said the Democrats want to and are going to try to abolish the police, he laughed at me and said, look, that's a little out there. That I mean, Nobody's going to say anything that crazy. That's where they are right now. And, yep. it, and it's only going to get worse. It's not getting better.
1: So, Senator, I want to turn to phase four and your reclaim act. I I want to begin by saying uh, I I think the Senate majority leader is uniquely gifted, best leader in my lifetime in the House. But I'm deeply disappointed that we have spent four trillion dollars or about to spend another trillion. And less than one percent of that has gone to national security into the Pentagon. I just I'm astonished by that. Um, Why in the party of national security? has phase four neglected to repair our defenses that have had been in many significant ways compromised by this virus.
2: Well, be, because the priority of leadership has not been meaningful and lasting accomplishments. And, and, and I would divide it into two major time periods. One was earlier this year in the height of the crisis, when we were facing an existential threat, an economic disaster on the level of the great depression And and the initial legislation that passed Congress was overwhelmingly bipartisan. It wasn't a stimulus bill. You know, the media calls it a stimulus bill. It was not designed to stimulate the economy. It was a relief bill. What it was designed to do was give emergency short-term loans to people to help them get through the, the, the worst part of the crisis. As we move to where we are now, what I believe we should be doing is not just shoveling cash out of Washington, not spending trillions more, but rather we ought to pass a recovery bill. What, what would a recovery bill do? It would focus on the small businesses that have, that, have, that have shut down, that are just now opening up again. They're just now opening their doors, and, and, and it, would, it would reduce taxes and reduce regulations on those small businesses to enable them to survive, to enable them to grow, to enable them to hire people back. If we're going to get our economy back, it turns on one thing. Are we able to bring small businesses back and jobs back and economic growth back? You look at the the package that was rolled out, unfortunately, by Republican leadership. It contains virtually nothing that will actually aid in the recovery. It's just an opening bid of a trillion more dollars we're going to spend. And by the way, we don't have it. It's not like there's a secret vault somewhere in Washington with a trillion dollars sitting there. That's a trillion dollars we're either going to print or borrow from China. And none of it passes meaningful structural reform to increase growth, to make it benefit. And and, and you could make a real argument, as you did, for investing in national security. As you know, I, I believe we need to invest substantially more in national security. That would be an actually an ongoing long-term structural change in our leadership, the vision of the leadership, I think, is much smaller than that.
1: So, Senator, does the Reclaim Act stand as an opposing bill to phase four that Leader McConnell is putting in or is an amendment to it?
2: So, so it does not, and, and, and they're doing different subjects. So I'm actually working on a legislative package that I hope to roll out this week that, that lays out what a recovery bill would look like, so that focuses on the economic policies and, and, and how we can restart our economy. In particular, because the Democrats' number one political objective is to keep the economy shut down, because they want us to get to November with tens of millions of people out of work and sitting at home and broke and pissed off, because that's how Democrats win in November. That's why you're in California, Hugh. That's why your governor has shut the state down. Because actually, I've outside.
1: fled. Senator, I've fled to Virginia. Uh, it, it's oh, a disaster okay. in California. Look, I'm a Virginian I, now.
2: I didn't realize you had escaped. Well, 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 well
1: welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> so let me, uh, let me close by asking, will you stand up this week and just beg for money for the Navy? China is our existential threat, and we need ships. We need quantum computing. We need artificial intelligence. We need to secure this country. And if we spend $4 trillion and less than a percent of it is on defense, we're not serious.
2: There is no doubt we need to continue to have major investments in in military and defense. You're right on the Navy that that, that, that we need serious investment. We're also we're falling behind in cyber. We're falling behind in space. It it, it, it is dangerous and we need to seriously invest.
1: Uh, Senator Ted Cruz, always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you, Senator. I'll look for that Recovery Act. I look forward to having you back soon. Thank you, my friend. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance
0: for townhall.com. Tech companies are in denial about the risks associated with political bias. They repeatedly feign ignorance before congressional committees and pretend to have no idea what shareholders are talking about when the issue is brought up at annual meetings. I know this from personal experience. These executives are typically dismissive, as though the issue isn't even worth a discussion. Well, maybe they'd better listen to the president of the company, which in many ways built the modern information economy. Microsoft and their current CEO, Brad Smith. He recently told Neil Cavuto that, quote, we in the tech sector need to step up when it comes to inclusion of different political views. So, the denial phase is over. Microsoft is too big to be written off. Silicon Valley has a thumb on the scale when it comes to conservatives, and it's up to them to restore our confidence. I'm Jerry Boyle.